Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into our exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look up their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. On this podcast, we share the stories that show why our leaders are truly extraordinary. Our guest today, Miles Cook, just reached his 35th anniversary at Bain. In that time, he's had one of the most diverse and wide-ranging careers of anyone I know at the firm. He founded our supply chain practice, served as an office head, led the performance improvement practice, and is a co-leader of Bain's private equity practice in the Southeast. Today, we're going to chat with Miles about what Bain was like in 1986 when he first joined the firm and started his career, what he learned from his time as an office head in Atlanta, and future back ventures, Bain's venture fund that provides both financial and non-financial support to alumni who start companies, where Miles is a member of the investment committee. I'd also note that this conversation is the second part of a two-part series highlighting how Bain supports alumni after they leave the firm. Miles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be part of it. Now, Miles, we've known each other for a while, going back to some of my work with the PI practice and my early days as a recruiting lead working with the Atlanta office, but maybe we should start at the beginning like we always do. Talk a little bit about where you grew up, how you chose where to go to school, and how you chose your major for those that are listening. Sure. Well, where I grew up first, I grew up in D.C. That's what we always used to say. It was really Northern Virginia, but that was a distinction that didn't make any difference to people who came from far away, like Boston or New York or somewhere. So we always just said D.C., and that's where I was a kid and went to high school. And I when I went to college, went to the University of Virginia and was planning to be a scientist, basically. I wanted to study biology and do genetic engineering and all the cool stuff that was happening at that time. And I changed course. And I think part of the reason was when you grow up in D.C., and I was typical of most of the people, frankly, who grew up in that area, my dad worked for the Defense Department. My mother was a school teacher. Every neighbor I can remember was military or worked for some other part of the government or was a lawyer. And I actually didn't know anybody who was in the world of business at any point when I was growing up. Right. I got to UVA and was picking my first semester classes. And one of the courses caught my eye and it just said, hey, would you like to be able to read the Wall Street Journal and understand what's going on with the economy and learn a little about the world of business. And I thought, that's different. It hadn't come up in any of my prior experience. So I thought, why not take that class and just see what I learned? That ended up being really fun and interesting to me. And at the same time, I discovered one day over a Bunsen burner in chemistry class that some of the aspects of being in a lab weren't as glamorous as I had imagined them. And, and I ended up just shifting the mix of classes over the four years till I ended up being much more about business and economics when I graduated than I was anything else. I had talked about on previous episodes, my experience being in lab and realizing, you know what, I don't think I like this as much as the people that are in here on this Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so had to figure out what else I was going to do, because certainly electrical engineering was not going to be it when I finished grad school. Miles, now, you also made the change, you know, from necessarily majoring in economics to you know, what you said you originally wanted to come into. And you decided to go into consulting after UVA. What was that process like? And did you know people in consulting by the time that recruiting season started? I think nobody knew people in consulting at that point. It was, <laughs> it was such a new industry. In 86, you know, Bain had only been around for a little over 10 years at that point and was 
basically a Boston company with small offices in a few other cities. No, I had never met anybody who did consulting. I didn't even know it was a career option. I was having, <laughs> I was having lunch one day, I remember, and I read a article in the student newspaper that said something like, you know, would you like to advise business leaders on their toughest problems while flying around the country earning frequent flyer miles? And I thought, well, that sounds like a good value proposition. <laughs> and I ended up exploring it a little bit more. And to my good fortune, Bain was one of the companies interviewing at UVA that year. I mean, I just kind of went for an interview as a flyer and really liked the people I met and ended up joining the company. Now, I'm happy to say that our recruiting messages has gotten a lot more sophisticated since back then. But Miles, you know, I joined maybe a decade later in 1996, but we were still a relatively young and much smaller firm than we are today. Can you share a little bit about what's the same and what's different today, you know, sort of fast forward 30 years, 35 years, because I, I think some of our core DNA really remains unchanged. The tools that we use and the way that we do the work might have changed, but the underlying values and aims of the firm seem very similar to me from my 27 years at the firm. But what's it look like from your perspective and your vantage point? I agree with that 100%. I really think you could take the people who were successful then, and if they could teleport to today, they'd be successful today and vice versa. And that's because many of the things are the same. Certainly the kinds of people who are attracted, who have a lot of intellectual curiosity, who like learning stuff, who are analytically capable, all mm -hmm. those features are still, were important then, they're important now. Bain in particular was advertising at the time a kind of unique talk track around doing strategy, but also implementation. And it was right. this idea that you could help figure out the right direction for a company and then pivot to making it happen. And the appeal to me was, I thought eventually I'd start or run a company and what could be better than learning those two things. And I think that is very much the nature of the work that we do today also. And another part of the story I remember from Bain, and part of the reason I picked Bain was that ACs were a real part of the team, the associate right. consultants at that time. You were doing actual work. You were going to clients, interacting in meetings. You know, you weren't just it's kind of an analyst buying a curtain, crunching work. You were engaging with the client and impacting the outcome of the projects in a really central way on the teams. And I thought that sounded pretty good. And that is still true today. In fact, we still have the same ratios of undergraduates and MBAs. It's still true that it's hard to tell the difference two years in who's playing what role because everybody is playing important roles on the team. It's much more like a basketball team than a football team, I always tell people. That was the same then. Now, things were different in other aspects. I remember, you know, the technology for actually doing the work was quite different. You couldn't just buy data the way you can do today. You couldn't access the internet and pull things down the way you can do today. So we, we had to get really creative with data gathering. I remember one of the periodic meetings they'd have was celebrating heroes who'd figured out a way to find data. And one of the stories was somebody who'd gone to the fire station to get diagrams of industrial plants, which had to be filed with the town, city, and state, you know, for fire evacuation reasons, and could use that to estimate plant sizes and production capacity, or going to uh, stadiums after games and counting bottle caps on the ground to see what consumption was like 
you much more had to make data versus find data in those days. I thought that was sort of fun and different and cool. You also had to make your slides physically. Things were still being produced on acetates and shown on overhead projectors. And so part of the AC toolkit that I carried was colored plastic so you could make bar charts with segments in different colors and exacto knives to cut that out. It led to much shorter presentations because it was <laughs> an enormous amount of work to make a page, let alone edit a page. Thank goodness that technology has gotten a lot better and nobody's doing that anymore. But yeah. there was very much an insurgent voice at Bain. You know, we felt like we were out to change our clients and change the industry. And that's still true today. You know, Miles, one of the things that stood out to me, because I joined 10 years after that. And I remember I would tell people today that, you know, when I joined, we were on two projects at a time, we were double staffed. And they were like, well, my God, how could you ever do that? And I was like, well, because when you needed data, you'd call investor relations and they'd have to mail you annual reports. So you had nothing else to do until FedEx showed up the next day. So you might as well work on your other project. And the lack of internet access, I think I joined an office that had five modems. And at any point in time, only five people could be on the internet. The good news is there was nothing really on the internet, so it didn't matter. <laughs> You're right, you were in books and libraries photocopying stuff when you needed data. Absolutely, yeah. You're bringing back memories with that story. I know. It's traumatic for both of us. We'll have to take a moment and reflect after this conversation. Now, Miles, like a lot of the ACs, like myself, you did make the decision to leave Bain and go back and get your MBA. What led to that decision, and what were your plans coming out of the MBA? I knew I was coming back. I was wavering until I got my first bill and then said, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. You can go ahead and pay this for me. What was your plan? Well, I didn't plan to come back to Bain. First, why did I go to business school? Almost everybody I knew at that time was doing that. So there was very, the program for ACs was set up such that you weren't required to go to business school. But the vast majority of people still did. And so I, I was a little bit of just following the motion that I'd seen succeeding for people. I thought I'd been working pretty hard for several weeks. And somehow I had this crazy idea that business school was going to be a break from that, which it was nothing like undergraduate school in that regard. It was a ton of work. But I thought it was like a sabbatical where you were learning something in some ways, I guess, in my mind. And so I had that idea. And then I sort of felt like I'd learned everything that I needed to know about being a consultant because, gosh, I'd been doing it for three years and how much more really was there to it. I could make slides, I could lead a meeting and so forth. And, you know, like a lot of mid-20s people, I felt like I was ready to, to get on and, and do something different and new. And so I went to business school and then two things happened. One is I think I got a greater appreciation of Bain as an employer from talking to my classmates and just some of the cool experiences I'd had and all. And it made me more appreciative. But also I had just a, one of those life events where my wife was in law school and she started at the same time I did. So she had one year to go when I was graduating from business school. And I, I kind of needed to kill a year until I went and did my, quote, real job. And so I thought, well, I can go back to Bain and they'll sponsor it. I had this idea of maybe doing a search fund or something. So I thought I could do that on a bootleg basis. And so I went back to Bain and kind of had fun that first year with the projects that I was working on, the people I was working with. She took a job working for a judge, another one-year gig. And I thought, well, I'll just go one more year, save a little bit more money for when I go get my real job. Then I got a promotion and I thought, well, I had to commit to a year. I thought, well, I'll stay one more year till I get my real job. Then I was three years into Bain and I, all of a sudden I realized I was learning stuff that I didn't know. 
as an AC, like how to run a team and really be accountable for the whole right. project, right. not just your piece of the project. I was working in different industries. We had just created our private equity practice at that time. I was the first manager running diligence cases, and that was fun and exciting. And I was getting a little bit of a taste of building something inside Bain. And so I kind of had to make a call at that point of whether to go get my real job or make Bain my real job. And I decided at least at that point I would shift from one year at a time to two to three to five years at a time. So, Miles, we started to get into this before the break, and you come back, and I like to tell people that I haven't been here 27 years. I've been here two years, 13 times, plus or minus a little bit. I didn't think I'd meet anybody who'd been here for one year, 35 times, but you were on that journey until you reevaluated things. But you started to get into some of the leadership roles you were playing and some of the really innovation-centric, sort of founder-led efforts inside Bain. Can you share a little bit more about what that was like and what it's like to build things inside a firm, like the private equity practice and standing up other practice areas? Well, it's really two different journeys. So let me start with one of those, which was getting into some of the leadership roles at Bain. That was a really conscious decision that I made. I had always thought I was going to start or run a company. And when I made that pivot that we talked about where I said, well, maybe I'll be start thinking five years at a time at Bain, I said, well, if I'm going to do that, I want to be still gaining that experience running something. And I knew that with pure client work, I was spending 98% of my time thinking about my clients' businesses and 2% on Bain stuff. I said, I'd like to shift that ratio and do spend at least a quarter or a third of my time helping manage Bain as a company. I thought I, I could learn a lot from that. And I told a couple of people that. I told the office head that I was working with and some of the partners I was working with. And like a lot of things, you have the right sponsors and just magically uh, a few years later, opportunities would come along and they'd say, well, you know, you should talk to this guy, Miles. He would be interested and he might be a good fit for this. And so I had some opportunities to move into roles like that. And also, I think like in any other company, I'm sure, but at Bain, if you just kind of dive in and start doing stuff, because you've got, you're passionate about it, you're interested in it, you want to help drive the direction of it. Some people are just naturally kind of move themselves into positions where they're doing that. And, and I found that some of the roles I was playing, they were kind of looking for somebody to lead it, and I was showing interest and energy for it. And so a couple of things like that fell my way as well. And so over time, I ended up having the chance to be on our comp and promotion committee, to be in a practice and then run a practice and run an office and some other things. There's plenty of those leadership roles at Bain. And just honestly, by expressing some interest in it, I got some opportunities. That's a good insight. And I know a lot of people inside the firm listen, but those who are thinking of joining the firm, you know, my experience has been that it feels awkward for people who didn't grow up here to share that they'd want to do something else than what they're doing. And it feels tough to go to your partner, or your senior manager and say, you know, I really think I want to try that practice here. I think I want to step away and do an externship or a rotation to something inside Bain. And every time I've heard somebody share that, it's been met with, well, how can I help? Let me talk to this person because I think they have an opening and they're looking for somebody to help out. And what I found is that people coming from the outside you would go heads down and you would never talk about wanting to do something else with your current supervisor. And that's just not people's experience here from what I can tell. 
My experience is exactly the same. I've never had a bad response and always had a great response to it. And as much as sometimes you worry about it, they go, oh, you'd be great in that role, or or, how can I help, like you said. And then the starting things was kind of the other journey, and that was honestly sort of accidental, like a lot of things in life and a lot of things at a consulting firm. You know, you just, you happen to be in the vicinity of a high flow of opportunities. And if you just pay halfway attention to what's going on, there are opportunities to get involved in starting things. So the private equity work came along because of a project I, by total coincidence, worked on as a consultant. And that client came back, you know, 18 months later, had a second project and, and remembered me. And I ended up getting involved in that second project. And they were at a fund. And then that led to a third project and a fourth project. <laughs> and then we decided maybe we could build a practice around this. And we had some internal discussions and decided to try. And it was me and a partner and a consultant. And then we recruited another manager and another partner got involved and it started to catch some momentum. It turned out some people were doing similar things on the East Coast. And let me interrupt for a second there, Miles. What tenure were you at this point? Because I I think people might be saying, well, yeah, he was an office head. Of course, he can just start these things. No, no. I was just starting my second year. I was three years out of business school. The first project I'd worked on, it was 18 months in as a consultant. And then I started managing the projects about 18 months after that. Now, your leadership roles continued because a little bit after that, you took on a leadership role leading our Atlanta office. Well, first it was starting the office. So we started having kids and wanted to get back to the East Coast where my family is from, my wife was from. And I heard a rumor that we were thinking about (laughs) starting an office in Atlanta. And so to your earlier point, I was a little nervous about telling people in San Francisco I might look elsewhere, but I called up the person who I'd heard the rumor was starting it, and it turned out it was true. And I started, as I learned more about it, I went and talked to the San Francisco offset who said, that'd be great, how could I help, just like your experience. I ended up moving to Atlanta as one of five people to start the office here, and that was a very explicit decision. Private equity kind of happened accidentally, and then next thing I knew, we were building that. In Atlanta, we all made the choice to move to a new city and try and build an office. And that went back to my wanting to start or lead a business. I thought, Mm -hmm. hey, what a cool opportunity. I could decide who we hired, set the culture, help recruit the team, be part of picking the paint, (laughs) the paint color for the walls and the furniture at that time. You know, we didn't have the branding people that we have now, so we could kind of do whatever we wanted to. And I just, I thought it was fun. And it turns out it is fun to start things. What was your vision or your priorities for setting the culture? You know, a couple of episodes ago, we had Mike Garsko, who was the office head in London for several years. And he talked about some of his priorities and some of the things he tried to do. But starting up a business or an office inside Bain, like you said, has a lot of decisions that go along with it. But what were some of the things you wanted to accomplish and the tone that you wanted to set in what at the time was our newest office? Well, I remember two things. I'm sure there were others, but two things that do stand out that I remember. One is that really all of us wanted to have a very wide range of opportunities for people, I mean, of the things that they worked on. So a very diverse mix of clients. And we were a little bit worried in a small office, you know, you get one client, that's the whole office, or two clients, that's whole office. Maybe they're both in consumer products, and then you're only doing consumer products. Well, the Southeast is a very diverse economic area with consumer products and banking and industrial and technology and utilities and all sorts of industries. 
And we essentially made the decision that we were going to commit that no industry would be more than 20% of the office at that time. That was really an unusual decision to make as a small office. But as you've detected, I'm sure from my experience, I love learning new stuff. And I was not inclined to become a specialist in any one industry. And it, to me, it was very important to have diversity. I used to tell people, my first client when I was hired back out of business school made cruise missiles. And my second client made sneakers. And <laughs> that's kind of been my career experience since then. And I got to work on lots of interesting things. I worked for a computer manufacturer and the very next company was delivering parcels, you know, so. It is interesting, Miles. I'm smiling as you're talking because many recruits have heard me. They ask, you know, what industries or in what offices and things like that. And I tell them, look, it's generally driven by where you are geographically. It's usually like 30-ish percent of the office. So if you're in Texas, it'll be energy. In New York, it might be financial services. And I say there's two exceptions. One is San Francisco, which is biotech and tech are close to half the office. And then I say, and then Atlanta is almost evenly distributed across every industry. And I swear, I never knew that that goes back to the origin story of the office, that that was actually part of the founding charter, if you will. The other thing I remember about the culture we wanted to create was just a high level of connectivity and kind of interpersonal just relationships from the, the top to the bottom across all the teams. You can do that in a small office. I remember people would buy a house and everybody would have a party when they bought a house and have the whole office come over. And you got to know people outside of work as well as inside work. It was just fun. You were building a new set of friends in a new city, all having the experience of building something together. Miles, I have two questions that are related to advice you would give people. You know, the first one is, what advice would you give leaders at Bain or elsewhere that are thinking about taking on new leadership opportunities or new experiences along their journey, especially if they're comfortable and settled into where they are? Well, the new part of that, I'm... It's always been good for me. I like learning things, as I said earlier. I've always gotten a stretch from every new role. There's always been aspects of it that made me uncomfortable. And at the same time, it's like you get comfortable being uncomfortable, as somebody said. And then pretty soon you can do that, that new thing. That's sometimes been some of my best learning experiences is the new aspects of the job. And they've helped me, honestly, in the old aspects of the job. Yep. I like to tell people, Bain will always give you a little bit more than you can comfortably handle throughout your entire journey. It never stops. Yeah, that's true. The second question I have before we switch topics is, what's your elevator pitch for why you've stayed at Bain for 35 years? I get asked why I've stayed all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, but what's the short answer that you would give people listening? It's funny, you know, like, like every, I'm sure everybody who's been at Bain long enough to become a partner, let's say, Every one of them has thought about leaving Bain from time to time. And so I remember asking a few people that question and some of their answers stuck and, and would be very true for me. And there's three things. One is the people that you're around are a very inspiring group. And it is just fun and easy to be doing projects with smart, driven, funny, <laughs> interesting, diverse, eclectic people. And not every company offers that mix. And they're, they're all very, they're impact players, they're smart. I learned from them. And I don't want to give up the colleagues. And then bring the lens in one click from that comment, I like to say mentors and protégés. The people who you build really close relationships with, who are kind of your mentors, you feel a little bit of guilt leaving. 
and the people who you're the coach to, you feel like, well, they're looking up to me. I need to stick around and help them. And you enjoy those relationships, and they, they last, you know, decades. There are still people at Bain today who I worked for, you know, 25, 30 years ago, or even, you know, as a new AC. And so they're very persistent. And then the third thing is just the learning and the opportunities that come along with it. You're never short on discovering something you didn't know about the world. I would absolutely co-sign on all three of those. Thanks for sharing that. So, Miles, I want to shift topics a little bit and talk about Future Back Ventures, which I mentioned in the introduction. Can you talk a little bit about what Future Back Ventures is and what the goals are before we get into your role in it? Yeah, for sure. So Future Back Ventures is a it's a venture fund first and foremost. So, you know, we've raised money and we are investing that money in early stage businesses. The wrinkle that's unique to it is that those businesses are either started or at least significantly led by one of the alums from Bain & Company. And we thought that that was a very interesting and promising pool of businesses to put capital into. Some of the things I learned when we were pulling this together, something on the order of 13% of alums from Bain end up joining or creating a startup, Mm -hmm. which is the highest percentage of any company we've been able to find. And, And actually, we found a third party study saying that it was the highest percentage. So you have a lot of people doing it. And they're sort of selected for being bright and pretty driven and good interpersonal skills. So you'd think they've got at least some of the decks stacked in their favor as leaders. And then, you know, they've got some number of years of training from Bain on how to think strategically, but act with impact and so on. So anyway, we liked this as a pool deficient. And we had a lot of interest from employees at Bain to invest in those kinds of companies. We did a poll in something like approaching half of our partner group, I think it was a little over 40%, was already very actively investing as angel investors in early stage and venture opportunities. And there were a lot of other employees who wanted to, but they didn't necessarily have the deal flow or the network or, or the opportunity to get into a fund or to see a diverse mix of opportunities. They might see one or two, but you didn't see a lot. And so we thought, well, let's create a fund and we will bring together the investor, the employee's interest in investing with the alumni who are doing cool things. That'll give us a wrinkle to stand out from other venture funds as well. And so we started the fund. We raised all of the money internally from senior folks at Bain and some from the company itself. And we're off and running. Now, Miles, how is this different than other companies or other consulting firms that say they have a venture arm or a similar vehicle? I think it's different from some of them in several ways. In a sense, it's an internal fund, right? Because it's all internal money and and we're investing in people who have been part of the company over time. They're alums now. But it is 100% a return-generating endeavor. So... Unlike, say, a corporate venture fund that might be investing for strategic learning or investing because it will bring back benefits to the parent, you know, we are held to the discipline that we've got to earn a return on the investments we make. So it's a for-profit endeavor, and that's a little bit different. But then the flip side is because it's connected to Bain, we have access to this whole pool of talent that is Bain and Company to help 
those companies make them successful. That can be experts in particular sectors or industries or topics that the new venture is playing into. Every time we talk to a startup founder, one of the first things we do is go find the Bain people who know that space. And we have yet to find one where we didn't have one degree of separation from a true expert in the arena. And then we have the ability to provide externs and rotational employees into the startups. We have a network where we can sometimes connect them with other capital or with strategic customer opportunities, things like that. So we bring some things from the from the Bain side that are different than any other venture fund could bring. And Miles, in addition to that, at the venture level, you know, what personal or professional development do we provide to the entrepreneur themselves who are part of the Bain family, both as a former consultant and now it's a part of the alumni community? Well, a few things that we're doing that they're commenting are different and helpful. One is after we make the investment, rather than sit on the board, although we could do that, and we do do that in some cases, but we always assign a champion and mentor to the company and to the founder, or really to the Bain alum there. And that is, it's often a partner, it doesn't have to be, but it often is, who's got some relevant knowledge and experience in their sector, but who we also think is just a good coach and can be a low-risk, high-gain sounding board on questions that they have, advisor, a connector to help them connect to other people and so on. So they're taking an interest in that founder's personal success and trying to help promote that. So we provide that. We provide a lot of community to the founders. You know, they're coming to events with other founders, whether we've invested in those founders or not. We're trying to bring the groups together and get them talking to and networked with each other and provide some community among the Bain alums who are off starting companies that they can't auto-generate. You know, it's hard for them to have visibility into people who are doing this something in a related sector, but a thousand miles away or somebody who are doing something in a different company, but are three miles down the road. They might not always know they're there. So we're providing some network as well. Miles, when we were talking before the recording, you had shared an example of a logistics startup that we were involved with. Can you just share that story for our listeners as we start to wrap? Because I think it brings to life everything that you're talking about in a real world example. Yeah, well, this is a a brand new investment for us, a very interesting company that's being started in a particular geography where the service level from the major competitors in logistics, and you should be thinking e-commerce, parcel delivery, both business to consumer, business to business, it was terrible. And it's bad in a lot of places. It's terrible in this particular country. And, uh, And the founders experienced that. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, they just had such a bad experience themselves. They said, our only solution is start a company and make this better. And so they've done that, and they've they've got a tremendous track record developing because they started very much in uh, true Bain spirit. They started with the customer and worked backwards. What do they need? How do we deliver a better experience? Let's engineer a system to do that. And so they've actually designed their system a little bit differently than some of the competing players. They've taken climate into account in a way that existing competitors don't, but also technology, their employee model. There were a lot of things they were doing that we thought were interesting and disruptive. And so we liked that. And we really liked the founding team. Lots of energy, lots of intellectual curiosity. They're able to think strategically, but take action. At the same time, 
some of the things that made them able to do that were because they didn't come out of the logistics industry. And so there were also some fundamental experiences that you might have had if you'd been in, in that industry for 20 years that they'd never had before. Metrics that are really important. Seeing around the corner a little bit as they scale what's going to become important to driving you know, positive economics in the business. How do you get the right asset utilization? How do you keep your labor costs to a reasonable level? How do you recruit a team while you're scaling? How do you think about going into other countries or interconnects between cities? Well, we have people who know those things because they have been advising clients in many of the world's best operators in that industry. And so we were able to connect those two. And, you know, where the industry experience and stories and wisdom and connections is helpful, we can bring that. But at the same time, we are trying to accelerate, not snuff out what they're doing that's disruptive. And I think I think that's a really promising combination. We'll see if that's right, but I'm pretty optimistic. That's really great to hear, and thanks for sharing that, because I think it brings to life the fact that, yeah, there's a financial investment and founders are always looking to raise money, but there's expertise and coaching that goes hand-in-hand hand with that for the ultimate success of the venture. And it's really neat to see we're bringing all of that to the table to help, frankly, what we consider family and helping them launch something that's really cool. Miles, I want to thank you for coming on today. We've had several different guests on, dozens at this point, and I always tell people, if you talk to 10 people at Bain, you will find absolutely different journeys for each one of them through the firm. Uh, and I think it's been really great for people to hear not just how you've been a leader and started things inside of Bain, but how you scratched some of the itches that you developed early on in your academic career as part of the firm for the whole time. And it's really awesome to hear your story, and I want to thank you for sharing it today with everyone. It's been a pleasure. 